0: To change from the regular glasses to bifocals and the the, what do they call them when they change before you? There's like three areas in my glasses now. Um, I I, I looked like I never got used to them. The the doctor said, once you get used to them, you can't do without them. But um, we have to see right and have the right focus. And God's word gives us that right focus. And so we ask him to, to teach us today. Look in Proverbs 16 in verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man... And the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand. That he shall not be unpunished. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. By by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Chapter sixteen marks the beginning of the second half of the book of Proverbs, and we see that in these first chapters the, the present truths in contrast. Using the word but, we see in. Uh, example in verse 2 all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes but so we're going to see a lot of contrast in the second part the latter chapters of this second section are are comparisons in chapter 16 uh, solomon is comparing us or encouraging us to get the right focus in life so look at things from a heavenly perspective from from god's viewpoint now from where you see something is important A, a different seating in this auditorium gives you a different perspective if we were at the corner here and we saw an accident according to where we were standing on either side we might have a perception of what's going on in a stadium if you're at an athletic event or at the symphony or whatever every place where you'd sit gives you a different perspective and you'd see things that you wouldn't from another perspective in this life we have only the the perspective from within from us And we need more than that because there are other people. They're not just us. We're not the center of the universe. So we need to to see from other people's perspective. That's hard to do, isn't it? And we have to have help in doing that. But ultimately, we need to see things from God's perspective. And he so graciously has given that to us in his word. When we look at things just from our perspective, our emotions and feelings and experience go into it. When we look at things from God's perspective, he has all information. He knows everything. He knows how it will end. And so that's why the wise person goes to God's word and finds out how God sees it. Because at the end of all things, it doesn't matter how you feel about something or how I feel about something. Those are opinions. But God's word is truth. In chapter 16, Solomon is encouraging us to get the right focus in life. If we don't see things right, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Our perspective of life causes us to react in certain ways. If we have the perspective that God is absolutely sovereign, for example, just that teaching of God's sovereignty, knowing that He is in control, that He's not acting after the events, He's always previous, He's always in charge, He's always before... We act in response to, and even when we have information, we try to plan ahead. We don't have all the knowledge that we need to have. We don't have all the perspective that we need to have. But God is sovereign. He is in control. And we have very pressing things in our nation this week in the Supreme Court on Tuesday. I understand there are going to be some hearings some arguments about pressing things before this court. of Same-sex marriage It will ultimately lead, I think, to the court deciding in June. Well, we have uh, God's perspective on these things. And when we pray, we ask for God to do his will as he's revealed it to us in his word. Once we know that God's in control, whatever the Supreme Court rules, whatever circumstances happen, we know that he will ultimately lead in the right way. He will overreign, over, uh, uh, intervene uh, in the affairs of men to work his sovereign will. And we must keep that in perspective. Uh, he's in control at all times, and we can rest in his ways and uh, the circumstances that he allows in in our lives. If we have the perspective that God is not actively involved as the deist of old, some of our founding fathers of this nation were considered deists. If there was a God, he was distant and far removed. He may have gotten things going, but he's not concerned about the intimate details of my life or your life. If we have that perspective that, that he is hindered in carrying out his sovereign will by Laws and supreme courts, then then we we would be very miserable, wouldn't we? Uh, that by man's actions or by those of the wicked ones, then we will find ourselves in despair. But once we rest, that God is in control and He will work His will, and He's working in a timeless uh, time frame where we see everything from the emergency of the immediate and now. Here we see the Lord looking into the heart of man, uh, actively involved. In every area of our lives, verse one reminds us the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now, that word preparations there means refer to the man's arrangements or plans. All of us have certain arrangements, certain plans in our lives. We could paraphrase this verse to read something like this. Man may be make plans in his heart and mind, but God has the last word. And if any of you have lived very long, you know that's true. You can plan, and certainly we should be prudent. We've looked at the ant; Consider the ant who makes preparations in summer for winter. We should do all those things and live a prudent life. But at the end of it all, still the Lord has the final answer, doesn't he? No matter how careful we may plan or how prudent we may be. The book of Revelation makes it clear that the creator God who spoke these worlds into existence will have the final say. He will destroy the earth that he created. Uh, Peter tells us that all things that can be seen at, at present will melt with fervent heat, and they will destroy the present order of things and bring and remake them, restore them. He will make a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, reestablish righteousness and perfection as He originally intended for it to be. So all of man's plans and all the rulers and the schemes of man and the governments and, that have come and gone since the, the the fall of man in Genesis will become to naught. And kings and kingdoms will pass away. They rise and fall. Where is the great Persia of old and Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and and all the, the those kingdoms of the, the Roman Empire? The, uh, the Greeks all are but a memory the Egyptian empire and uh, even those that are seem so prominent today will one day go by the wayside King Jesus will reign he will be enthroned and set up a new world order of which he will rule supremely now that is our confidence the scripture teaches that man has been highly favored of the Lord man has been placed to have dominion over this earth Um, man lost that uh, complete dominion that god intended for man to have now the thing is man thinks he's in control but he's not is he the prince of the power of the air and his uh, minions uh, lead uh, and god's sovereign will seem to lead sway here but even then must answer to the lord but but man foolishly thinks puny man thinks that he is in control and by treaties or by war or whatever he can bring his own will to pass we've been highly favored of the lord he's given us great intellect and uh, ability and capacity for learning and communication and teaching and it, to some degree man has has utilized those abilities but i would tell you not never to the degree that god intended as he did in the original man if we can consider uh, adam's capacities. To, to oversee a vast garden several square miles that was his job and to, just for example to name the animals the, the the vast intellect and ability that adam had and remember to adam god gave the, the the command to have dominion over the earth now when god gives a command he gives the wherewithal he gives the energy and the ability and so man lost the, the original abilities and powers to the degree he would have if he had not fallen. But even in our fallen condition, the Lord has allowed man to do amazing things. We think of the inventions and, and medicine and so forth. And so we see mirrored in all that, even in a fallen world, uh, with all the sin and problems, the reflection of the Creator and His gifts and His abilities that He's entrusted to us. And so we've been give, given dominion over the world that God created. But God had to intervene, did he not, and thwart man's plans and, uh, but when they go against his sovereign will. He had to keep Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden and away from the, the Tree of Life. And uh, he had to thwart Satan's plans as well. In Genesis 11, when mankind united together to, and rebelled against the Lord's command to spread out and populate the earth after the flood it was god's will for man to spread out uh, but but man consolidated their efforts and decided to build an insulated kingdom with god not in it sounds familiar doesn't it we want to, uh, to do what we want to live what we want to have our own laws to support whatever lifestyle we want to. We don't need God. We have computers. (laughs) We don't need God. We have all of our resources, it seems. Or we don't believe there is a God, so we just elect him out. And so that's what Babylon, uh, the Tower of Babel, uh, men was trying to insulate themselves from God. Well, the Lord intervened, didn't he? How, How successful was that? He scattered them. Mankind decided, though, to unite against the Lord and said, Let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into the heavens. And I remind you that this is not cavemen, as evolutionists would tell us. If they were attempting to build a skyscraper or whatever it was, they had the capacity to do it, didn't they? There are all kinds of marvels in the ancient world that, that archaeologists and architects and engineers have no clue, or only clues or ideas about how they built Stonehenge or the pyramids or whatever it is. And so I would submit to you that man did have great capacity and that man was created at his height and we have devolved, not evolved, we've devolved this present day to where we are. Let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now man is motivated by pride, unsaved man. Let us make us a name. We want to be known. That's the, uh, the pride of life. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, uh, Genesis 11:5 says, which the, the children of it, men builded. And the Lord said, "Behold, the people is one, and they have one language. And this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them. In other words, if God had not restrained them, because even in their fallenness, man had great capacity and ability to do things. Nothing will restrain them which they have imagined to do. Our imaginations, the ability to discern and create and to figure out and problem solve, all that's a gift of the Creator and part of His command to have dominion, to subdue this, this earth. Go to, let us go down, and confound their language. We see that us there, mention of the, the, the Trinity of God. Let us go down. And there confound their language, and that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Their plans were thwarted. The preparations are in the heart of man, the proverb says, but God has the last word. Let us never forget that. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon all the face of the earth now god knows what man's plans are and he will work his sovereign will in spite of man we see it through history we see that one great empire rises or some ruthless leader or philosophy comes and then god over overrides through his allowing inventions to take place or his uh, by natural uh, disasters and uh, various ways that god has to thwart the ways of man when they are to bring destruction toward the end of the age man will again join forces in the same way as they did at babel under the antichrist there'll be one thought one religion one world government and it seems strange to us they tried it in genesis again again man will as well and unite together all in one common goal to thwart god And we know who's behind all that, don't we? It shouldn't surprise us as we see things fall into place and these things come to pass. But God will ultimately overthrow that. He will thwart man's schemes against him and will rule victorious by the strong arm of King Jesus. On a personal level, though, these are historical and future events that the Bible tells us about or prophesies. But on a personal level, the Bible warns us about making plans without planning on god to intervene and may i submit to you as a child of god we should live under the motto if the lord will the old believers used to write the latin letters dv if you read any old books especially the puritan writers or other writers dv deo valente the lord willing And they get that from James where the Lord says we should say if the Lord will, we'll go to a certain city and live there a certain length of time and make money and do this. There's nothing wrong to plan and have a business strategy or a life strategy. We should do that. We have this one opportunity to live for the Lord and to leave an impression, not just an impression but a legacy of godliness and trying to reach the lost and to serve the Lord in whatever capacity he's called us to do. And yet we say... Above, before it all, and after it all, the Lord willing, if the Lord will, the rich fool plotted and schemed about building new warehouses, didn't he, to store his goods? He had such a bumper crop. He assumed, man, I've got this farming thing figured out. I have tweaked it. I have, I have thwarted the, you know, all the pests. He had a bumper crop, and he, he just assumed it's going to be this way year after year. I need to build me bigger barns and store this stuff up. I'll become a, 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 a clearinghouse. I'll supply grain to, to other people. I'll have a conglomerate. Not knowing. What does the Scripture say? Thou fool. Not because he planned to build a barn. Not because he was going to build a warehouse. There's nothing wrong with that. But his plans didn't include the Lord. He didn't stop to say, now, Lord, if you take my life tonight all of this is yours. The Bible calls him a fool, not because he planned or was a good businessman or had money. That's not why he was a fool. He was a fool because he left God out of his plans. He did not know that his soul would be ushered into the presence of the living God that very night in Luke 12 and verse 20. Well, we ought to say as God's people, and not just say it, But to think it and know it and to plan plan that way, if the Lord will, I'll do this. Lord, I have these desires. Show me your plan. And I want to be prudent and right and do it all to your honor and glory. But I don't want to leave the, the Lord out of my planning. Well, James warns us about making plans without consulting the Lord. In James 4, there in verse 13, Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we shall go to a certain city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, Nothing wrong with getting gain, buying and selling, and having wealth. But he reminds them, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That's your plan, but God is ultimately in control. What is your life? It is even a vapor. Well, how uncomplimentary to call your life a vapor. Uh, this morning on the mountain where I live, it was foggy. You could see down the valley, the fog. And then as the sun rose, it, it, the... the, the Vapor melted away, and then the clear trees and all you could you could see it. Well, that is our life. And it's very humbling to know that our life will be dried away, driven away just in a few few moments and compared to eternity. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time. Mighty, powerful, intelligent, wealthy man, God calls us here just for a little time, and then vanisheth away. Now, that would be sad if that was all there was to it, but we as believers know there's a life to come. But he tells us, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that, but now you rejoice in your boastings. All such boastings is evil. What is boasting? It's bragging on self. And there's nothing to brag about here, is it? If we are to brag, we're to give glory on our Savior. He has brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. He's allowed us to live to this long our times are in His hands. He already knows the date that we're going to be called home. Why would we worry, Fred, over that? Let me ask you a question: Did you worry, Fred, about your birthday when you came into the world? You had nothing to do with it. And so, God is sovereign. He placed you here at a moment of time, and He will take you at a moment of time. Now, my grandchildren are all have one that's two that they have birthdays approaching. And they start talking about it uh, way ahead of time. And one of them was with me yesterday, and he was telling me what what he wanted to do and the the music he wanted to play and all kinds of things. I mean, he had thought the thing out. He wanted some, some mountain banjo music, and he had all kinds of stuff, I guess, in the background of the events of the day. It was kind of humorous as I was thinking about it. But one thing's for sure, he had been thinking about that birthday on May, the whatever it is, I need to figure out, make sure I know what it is. But he'll, he'll remind me, won't he? But birthdays, you know, we worry and fret over things, but we didn't decide when we'd be born. If I had decided it wouldn't be right at Christmas when my birthday came, that's when the Lord wanted me to come. It kind of gets overshadowed by all the other events. But I didn't have you say so about that. And so once we put it in perspective that God sovereignly places us here now and when he'll call us home, it takes all the fear and the dread out of it because the preparations are in the heart of man, but the Lord has the final say so on all of it. That's why when we pray, We're taught to pray how? Thy kingdom come, thy, what is the next phrase? Thy will be done. Lord, I want your will to be done above all these other petitions that I'm requesting. And so we ought to love the Lord's will as much as we uh, love anything. We ought to love his, our meat is, is to do the will of him who sent me as Jesus said. And so man's plans can be interrupted by God at any time. All of us could say amen right there, right? I mean, just when we least expected it, God said, no, this is what's going to happen. We need the Lord's blessing for anything to succeed, and he reminds us of that. In fact, we should pray, uh, and I, tell, I remind all of our people in the prayer meetings that we hold here, Lord, if these plans are, or these prayers are not according to your will, will you correct them? Because we so desperately want your will to be done. And we only have such partial knowledge. If we're asking amiss, as James tells us, could be the possibility. We're to search our hearts. Lord, if we're asking amiss, you correct this prayer and answer it according to your own will. uh, So that, that, that we don't want anything to be contrary to yours. Intervene and have your own way. You are the potter and we're the clay. Mold us and make us after Thy will. While we are waiting, yielded and still, as the old song says. As Paul says, we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God, totally, absolutely, and fully of God. Someone has said, "Men purposes, but God disposes." And we should purpose. We should plan all the while submitting to the plan of God that he will intervene and intercede and intercept at any time. Now, if you don't live in that way, and a child of God certainly certainly should, you will be thwarted and upset and pouting like Jonah under a gourd when God intervenes and corrects your, your direction. Jonah didn't want to go in God's way, way, so our will has to be crossed at times. God had something he wanted to use uh, Jonah to do. So when our will crosses, our desires cross God's will, guess who's going to win? So wouldn't it be prudent ahead of time just to go ahead and say, Lord, I give up. I want to go and do what you want me to, no matter what it feels like, whether it feels good or is emotionally pleasing, knowing that ultimately we can rejoice uh, in the Lord. So, in verse 1, man's ways are plans. In verse 2, we see man's waywardness. Look there, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? it's absolutely a phenomenon that we have a hard time seeing our own sin. Uh, our, our agreeing with what the scripture says is sin. We can see it in other people's lives. Oh, it's so glaringly true how they've wronged us, what they said was right or wrong or true or false or mean or kind. You know, we can see it in others, but man's ways are clean in his own eyes. But, again, that contrast, the Lord weigheth the spirits. We are partial in judging ourselves. And for a sinner to be saved, you know, they must absolutely get to the point where they get on the witness stand and judge with the, the righteous judge against themselves. That everything that was said against us is true. It's very hard to get to that place. The Holy Spirit must do much work in the heart of a person to humble them to the place that they can be saved. They keep giving excuses. They keep giving, blaming others. Or, I'm not as bad as all that. Even though the preacher preaches and tells us the, the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That all is sin and comes short of the glory of God. There is within the heart a, a voice, a, a feeling, not me. I'm as good as the next person. I'm as good as he is. That justification. I haven't done anything wrong. My ways are all right. And so we're, we're partial in judging ourselves. And only the Lord can do a work to show us as we really are. We make excuses, as I've mentioned. We compare ourselves among ourselves. The first thing, when a sinner hears the, the truth that they're lost and d- despicable and wicked, they begin to find somebody else who's worse off. Well, you ought to see my brother or my neighbor. At least I don't do what that guy does. He's a deacon at the church, and they go on and begin justifying and making excuses. When it comes to the heart, man naturally thinks that he's all right. Someone has said he has no holiness who thinks he is holy because a person who truly has the holiness of the Lord or the imputed righteousness of the Lord has come to a place where they saw themselves absolutely bankrupt and without any good thing, and then the Lord could do a work there. Man is clean in his own eyes, but you know the only way that we can become clean is the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ, clean to the word that he's spoken to us we can easily flatter ourselves into thinking that we're quite all right and that surely God must be uh, pleased with us. I've shared with you before the testimony of Charlotte Elliot, a rich young society girl who uh, the preacher, the evangelist came to, to their home and her father was very concerned about her condition. She just didn't care about the things of the Lord whatsoever. She thought she was fine. And so... Her father had this pastor come preacher evangelist come to the house in hopes that the, that he could talk to her about her standing before the lord and and true to to, to his, his self he he, he broached the subject with her and began to explain the gospel and our our need of the Savior and our hopelessness and She began to make excuse well, I know that of some people, but i don 't do that i don't and she gave excuse and she thought since she'd live such an insulated and and uh, you know wealthy and clean and prim and proper life and had the best of fashion the best of everything that he certainly couldn't be talking to her so finally the pastor wisely told her until you get to the place where you just come to jesus and agree with him and present yourself as you are you can never be saved well she went to her room and those words absolutely just tormented her and she uh, we, but opened the scriptures and the Lord began to do a work in her heart. And at the end of her, her struggling, she penned the words that have been sung so many times at invitation. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Well, we can flatter ourselves. We're not as bad as the people next door down the street or at the bar or whatever but we all fall short of the glory of God. And every one of us need His grace. Every one of us need His saving grace in our lives. And so 1 Corinthians 4 uh, tells us that, for by I know nothing by myself, yet not, I am not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest or open the counsels of the hearts. That's a fearful thing, isn't it? When God will open it all and make everything clear and known and make manifest the counsels of the hearts and then shall every man have praise of God. It's too early to give estimate about someone's uh, how the success or how good they've been. The Lord will show that. We are unfit to judge ourselves. We often hear... of a a partial judge. And in fact, I've read this week that people are calling for two of the justices on the Supreme Court to recuse themselves from hearing the matters that will come before them on Tuesday because of their already uh, stated positions on the matter. Well, all of us are that way about ourselves. We have a, a faulty standard of judgment when it comes to us and often to those that we love. God's standard is absolute truth. It's not partial to anyone. It's not shadowed. It is not tainted. It is the absolute perfect word of God. And the word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the standard. The only perfect person who absolutely fulfilled the perfection of the law to the nth degree was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he is the standard, not you or me. Compare yourself When you hear the gospel and your need of a Savior, don't compare yourself to me or your mother or your neighbor or to someone else. Compare yourself to Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, the Word-made flesh, the embodiment of everything that God said or is, is Jesus Christ. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is God. And if God had not taken on flesh, we could never really comprehend what God is like. But we have... A complete revelation in Jesus Christ. The written revelation and then the living word of God. God's judgment is this. It's always according to truth. Man's judgment is usually, uh, even the best of men, boils down to what he feels is right. And juries after cases will even tell you, even if they've been presented, the absolute facts of a case will sometimes confess that they went by what they felt was right. And and if you've ever served in that capacity, you know how that is because we, even though all the facts are presented to us, we weren't there. We didn't see it. We don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt, as they often tell us to, that you have to deliberate in that way. So it puts that fear in their hearts that they're not going to judge rightly. But God, when He makes a judgment, is not according to feeling, it's not according to prejudice, it is according to truth. And there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so the Bible tells us he weigh in verse two, the latter part of Proverbs sixteen, verse two, He weighs the spirits in a just and unerring un- un- scale. When I was a little boy, my mother used to have this, I, I think it was for looks, but it was a scale. We always played for it. It was living, a brass scale. It had these two little shallow pans, and they hung by chains. And I think there were some plastic fruit in them or, I don't know, some kind of fruit And it. I, I remember abusing that scale, I will confess that, and playing with it when it was probably just decoration. And uh, we did all kinds of things with it. But, you know, but for that scale to function properly, and in this day when people would go to the market in Bible days, there was a scale that they would weigh. Their money was not codified as it is today. And so they would weigh the gold and they would weigh it out with their weights to make sure that it was exactly accurate. They would weigh as you bought things. You've been to a farmer's market. You want a pound of this or but It's put in a scale. Well, these scales that were in the mind here are the weights are on one side and the product that you say it is, this weighs this much it's on this side, and the weights will tell whether it is or not. And so God uses a just scale. Now there were those unscrupulous businessmen whose weights would be off. Now if the weights are off, the whole thing is messed up. Is if you say it's one thing, but it's not, even that that can be uh, messed up. So He knows what is in us. He knows our thoughts from afar. Our down sitting. And our uprising, uprising, as the scripture says. Just as he told the Babylonian king, uh, Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. That's true of all of us. When we, everything about Chris Lamb is put in the just scales of eternity of the righteous judge, it won't be matter about what witnesses are called to testify. That our, our adversary, Satan, will come and say all kinds of things. And guess what? It'll be true. But it'll not be the testimony of Satan that judges and damns the lost. It will be their own hearts, their own actions. In God's scales, their absolute truth. He's the God of truth. Thou art weighed in the balances And apart from Jesus Christ, we'll always be lacking. We're lacking in something vital. We're lacking not in sin. We have sin. Not in self-righteousness. We have that. But that won't do, will it? Not in works, necessarily. We're lacking in perfection. That's something none of us have. And so Jesus Christ bought and paid for our salvation and gives us his perfection. Gives us his own righteousness. When our ways, our thoughts, our sins, our plans are put into God's scales, they always fall short. That's why we should do, as verse 3 teaches, look at what is very good advice. In light of that perfect scale and the problems there, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Now, the word commit here is an important Hebrew word is an interesting one. Really, it means to roll over onto or wallow on. You get the picture of a dog wallowing out in the yard, scratching his back, or or just absolutely, you know, someone in a hammock. They're totally trusting that the weight of that hammock. Uh, we we roll the keeping of our souls over into the hands of the Almighty God. When it comes down to it, to be saved, we take God at His word, don't we? We turn from self. And sin, and we say, "Lord, I'm resting in You." And that the writer of Hebrews calls our salvation the rest, uh, the soul rest, the rest of the people of God. And so, a person ceases from striving and from self, and they come to the Lord and rest in Him. Lord, I'm taking You at Your word. I'm resting in You. We trust Him. We rest on Him like a baby in His mother's arms, wallowing there. I see these mothers. We have got a bumper crop of babies. I went down to the nursery this morning, and they were just, it was just teeming like an ant bed. And some little babies in the mother's arms just, just, just lolling there, you know, oblivious to all that was going on. That's a picture of absolute peace and rest. And the little fellow may stir and flop over this way, not feeling it's going to fall. And that thought didn't come to his mind. It's in the strong arms of a mother. That's the picture of us in the hands of the Lord. Our souls are in his hands. In fact, Jesus Christ said no man can pluck it from his hands. Uh, We're safe there. What a place of safety. So we need to reestablish our thoughts and direct our plans. May, May we as God's people stay in the right path on a steady course. If we listen to the talk show hosts and all the news media, and I'm not saying you should not be informed and know what's going on. I read the newspaper every day. Uh, and in the Birmingham News, it comes out three times a week. As often as it'll come out, I'll read it. There are other newspapers I read daily. I do try to check the news to know what's going on. But at the end of it all, there's so much that's just beyond us. It's just information. It, it, there's so much uh, horrible circumstances. I'm not saying that we shouldn't know about them, but it just it goes beyond our ability to, to process. But we need to establish our thoughts. May we as people we can allow that to influence our thinking if the majority wakes up tomorrow and decides that something is right that the bible says is wrong that should not sway god's people's thinking you see we see the church in this day has followed the world instead of the world being influenced by the church in the message of the gospel the church just adopts the world's philosophy and the influence the salt and the light has been absolutely cloudy clouded and made ineffective, and so uh, our place here is to be a shining light. The Scripture, our Lord didn't say you should try to be light. He declares that we are light. We're all the only light this world is going to have, is the witness of God's people. The only s- salt, the preserving factor of society, is God's people. And so we need to be on a steady course. How do we stay on a steady course? By staying in His Word. That's why it's imperative that you personally have a daily study of god's word and then be under the regular teaching and preaching of god's word the whole counsel of god's word not not sidestepping something that's uncomfortable in the scriptures not just reading your favorite psalm but lord teach me Thy way teach me thy word living simply and honestly and not disturbed by the events or changes we are concerned we're deeply concerned we're gravely concerned and greed we we think about the the horrible earthquake in nepal 2000 people i think have died and we've not heard whether our missionaries what their situations are there we we were we just overcome with the 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 horror and the terror of those people there and we should we should pray for them but the the events that happen on earth the bible says though the foundations be destroyed our hope is in the lord and in him alone psalm 112 verse 5 says a good man showeth favor and lendeth he will guide his affairs with discretion surely he shall not be moved forever the righteous shall in be an everlasting remembrance he shall not be afraid of evil tidings his heart is fixed trusting in the lord think about fixed on something just uh, screwed on to it just fit, glued to it his heart is fixed trusting in the lord i was trying to pry a, a flower box there was this metal thing in it and i kept i couldn't figure out why i couldn't pull it out it just wouldn't come out until i got down to the bottom it was screwed in that's why i wouldn't pull out these simple wires should have, and so i had to un, unscrew these rusty screws but it was fixed that's how we should be fixed on the lord and his word his, his heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. The only way for our thoughts to be established, the Bible tells us in verse 3, thy thoughts shall be established. That established is like a firm foundation is to roll our works over into the Lord's hands. The great concerns of our souls must be committed to the grace of God with dependence upon a submission to his working all things according to his gracious will. First. Second Timothy one verse twelve, what a precious verse, one that you can take to heart this morning, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And once you know that, everything else finds its place, doesn't it? I know whom I believe. You hear the assurance and the audacity of the apostle Paul says, I know whom I believe and am persuaded. You couldn't convince him any other way. That he is able to keep that which I've committed, rolled over onto him. Against what? That day, the great day, when everything will be manifest. Our sins have already been judged at Calvary. And paid for by Jesus Christ. Paid in full. And he who knew no sin has become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so we have a great confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's what our soul is resting on this morning. Not in our feeling, not in man, but in the Lord. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. That great day. That all... We'll have to stand in one day. We commit all these concerns over to the providence of God. We're going to see this morning in the worship hour the providence of God in Joseph's life. How God intervened at times when it would seem. How could this be when we we commit all these concerns over to the providence of God and expect him to bring to pass in us and for us his plans according to his good pleasure? Job learned this. Can you imagine the suffering of Job. And we often hold him up as the picture of someone who suffers greatly. He says in Job 23 verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. Aren't you glad of that? He knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. And because he knows the way that I take. When he had tried me. So that's this the second thing we can put in the equation. God knows and he tries. He will perfect. He will test uh, our faith, because he knows what our faith is like, but we don't. We might have a faulty faith. We might think we've arrived when we haven't. We might be depending on the arm of flesh, and God has to knock out that prop to show us, see, that that was a prop. You weren't trusting in me. You were trusting in your job or your circumstances or your, your personality. So you take those things away. Then what do you have? You have God. That's what you had to start with. But you see, he has to test our faith or we wouldn't see that. We might have a misguided faith. We must be we may be trusting in something we shouldn't. He knoweth the way that I take and when he hath tried me. So that's a given. Guess what? All of us are going to be tried, but we're all in his hands. And he's a gracious, just, heavenly Father. I shall come forth as gold. The only way to come forth as gold is to be tried by an all-wise Savior. For he performeth the thing that is appointed to me. Well, what a statement. He's going to do what He says He's going to do in my life. Whatever eternity past that God saw He was going to do with Chris Lamb, guess what? He will perform it in spite of Chris Lamb. He will perform it. And many such things are with Him. He's going to keep on until either the Lord comes for us or He calls me home. And when He calls me home, He will be complete with all these tests and perfection in this life. Our concern is to, to pass the test, not in our own strength, but as the scripture says here in Proverbs 16, commit your works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Matthew Henry says, we may, we may, we, let us roll our burdens and concerns over to the Lord, the workings of our heart and mind, and by faith and dependence upon him, we resign everything that concerns us over to him. We may then be easy when we resolve that whatever pleases God shall please us, our Lord prayed, What? Not my will, but thy will be done. Carolina Sandelberg penned these words Every day the Lord himself is near me, with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me, he whose name is counselor and power. The protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As your days, your strength shall be in measure. This the pledge to me he made. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word and we take great confidence in it. We rest our case with you today. Lord, in this audience and in beyond this room, there are people with burdens and circumstances beyond their capacity to deal with. You've led them to this very hour, and I pray that you would perfect them and us, each of us, as we look to you and ask for your will to be done. May our Savior be praised and get all the glory, we pray in Jesus' name.